presence is here. Because of the beauty of the cross, you are here. And Lord, we just right now claim the beauty of who you are. It is greater than our shame. It is greater than the the sin that so easily entangles us. Your presence and power is here this morning. And we, as a local body, we have gathered together to proclaim your goodness, your greatness, and exalt you this morning. And we ask that you just break down the walls that maybe some of us have. If we have come here weary from the journey, but this is your time to do your work. And we thank you. And this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Take a moment and greet those around you. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to make just a few announcements. Uh, Today is going to be a little different day than we normally have. Again, we have our meeting at 1 o'clock. Just want, if you're a member of our church, we're going to be voting on some changes in our bylaws here. So I encourage you to come back at 1. And if you just want to say maybe you live in the county next to us, you don't want to travel all the way back, we do have a little meal that uh, is available for those that just want to stay. So we have that right after our adult discipleship groups. And then if you're going to a adult discipleship group, there's two things we want to let you know. Normally we kind of have it where you just go in the fellowship hall and you can grab some stuff and then go to the next place. And that's we're, we're kind of trying to feel how that works out. We've realized that it just there's a lot of congestion there. So what we've done now is if you're going to have your group on the other side of the campus there in the ministry building over there, we encourage you to go over there. There'll be stuff over there for you so we don't all have it all right here so that will help a little bit and then if you're going over to the soul garage we encourage you you can walk through the gathering place there you don't have to walk it's been nasty outside with all the the i was going to say the salt it's all the ice we put the salt on so it's very slippery between the doors there we encourage you not to go through that the little u section there we encourage you to even walk through the gathering place to get to the other side there so um so go and grab not grab and go we're doing that we're trying to trying it out couple announcements that we also have is we've got these bottles again. Um, we encourage you to get these. Kids, grab these, put change in there. We're going to be giving these to the Pregnancy Help Center. And when your bottle is full, just bring them to church on a Sunday. We'll put these in the office and we'll get these to the Pregnancy Help Center. Also, on February 12th, I encourage you as couples, we get to have Bob Lenz and his wife. So Bob Lenz is, is a, a worldwide speaker. And um, when I called him and asked him, hey, we're interested in having you come, but I said, mainly not you, but we want your wife to come also and have both of you share. And he's like, I've never done that before. So we get to have him and his wife. They will be here, so we're excited. So we encourage you, sign up for this. It's a date night for you, and we do have some child care. Is that correct, Pastor Tony? I think we're going to have some child care. So if you've got kids, it's a, yeah, they'll be here. You can drop them off. So we encourage you to sign up for this. Uh, we got some spots available for that. And 
Let me see. There's one more thing. Oh, yes. So we mentioned that we're going to have a suitcase for the Robertsons, and we've already got a lot of people sign up for items and stuff like that. If you signed up, remember, Wednesday's the last day you need to get that here. So we need you to bring that. If you sign up already, there's tons of stuff there, and a lot of you sign up for stuff. Bring that by Wednesday so we can then pack that suitcase, and OTNO's going to be headed out to Africa. So we're excited about that. And, yeah, so bring items if you signed up, and we're excited about today. Today, we are excited. As you know, Maranatha, we are part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, and uh, we're, we're blessed to be part of the Free Church of America. And with that, that means we're part of a group of churches that are part of this area, the Forest Lakes District. And uh, we've even included some churches in the UP, which sometimes looks like Wisconsin. I don't know part of them. But the Forest Lake Districts, and we have many um, different events that we do. For instance, the district youth gathering that we just recently had was the Forest Lake District. We had thousands of kids get together. We, in fact, Maranatha is kind of the main church in our area where every, every couple months we gather as pastors from the free church. They gather here at Maranatha, and we're excited when we do that. Today, just because of all that we're going on with, with our voting and all that, we wanted to have our superintendent come and just share from the word and just to let you know that as we even are doing some of the small changes in our bylaws, we don't just willy-nilly do that on our own. We're doing that under the auspice of the Free Church. And we've consulted them as this past year and a half as we've been going through a lot of these changes, thinking about what we are as the Free Church and what is unique to Maranatha. We've been consulting many Free Churches and our, our superintendent in our district. So we're excited to have John Payne here to share from the Word. So John, if you'd come up, I'd like to pray over you before you share from the Word. So let's give John a hand as he comes forward. So join me in a word of prayer as we pray for John. Lord, we do thank you for the beauty of the church. Christ, you love the church so much you died for the church. You gave your life up for her. And I thank you for this local body. We have been so blessed in many ways. And we thank you for the free church. We thank you for the connections we have with local churches that are, that are Baptist churches, the Assembly of God church, but we love the free church that we're a part of. We are so grateful for those who are on the board, those who, like Rob Wisey, who's been a part of the Free Church in Wisconsin here for so many years. We're thankful for John. And I just pray you just anoint him, guide him, as he shares from your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How in the world are you today? Can you believe, I heard cold, can you believe January is almost done? Can I get an amen? <laughs> now, if you, now, if you're one of these wonderful outdoors people who loves to be out on, in the snow and etc., you might be a little sad that January is coming to an end. But for most normal people, <laughs> right? Uh, getting through the cold January. I moved to, my wife and I and our two daughters moved to Wisconsin in 1993 from Iowa. So this is my, uh, start of my 30th year in Wisconsin. In January, I'm just going to... Anybody for honesty in church? We should be honest in church, right? Uh, January is tough. Tough sledding. Uh, I love the snow, uh, but when it gets cold, I'm, a, I'm the world's biggest wimp. I mean, I, I got six layers on today. So, I mean, I, I'm just prepared. I'm ready. Uh, but it is such a joy for me to be here today with you and to be able to share God's Word. 
I, I just want to say thank you, first of all. Because of Maranatha's being part of the Evangelical Free Church and part of the Forest Lakes District, there are some amazing things that God is doing. Uh, we're, we're up to with our church plants and with our uh, minority, uh, our, uh, other people's, uh, all people's movement of other churches. Uh, we're up to almost 160 congregations around Wisconsin. And as Pastor Cody said, uh, up in the UP, I'll be up in Kearney uh, next Wednesday, Lord willing. Uh, and then we have one outlier in Dubuque, Iowa, but about 160 churches. And because of your partnership this last fall, anyone know where Rhinelander, Wisconsin is? Rhinelander, population 832, yeehaw. Uh, there's a church in St. Germain, Wisconsin, and one in uh, Wausau and Merrill, several camp campuses, Highland. They've partnered and started a church in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. And, you know, my accountability partner and I were on the launch team for that. And we both said, you know, I think this place might be a little small. And the church launched in September. And guess what? It's a little small. They're running almost 200 people already. And Rhinelander desperately needs a vibrant gospel preaching church. And so, because of your partnership, there's a new church in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. Praise the Lord. Yes, yes, praise the Lord. Also, also, um, we believe um, the first Arabic church in all of Wisconsin was welcomed into our district just this last fall in Milwaukee. Isn't that, praise the Lord there, too. Um, the pastor and his wife came from the Middle East. They have about 80 believers that gather, all of them from Muslim backgrounds, and God is on the move. And the pastor there said, he said, you know, John, our goal is not to be the only Arabic church in Wisconsin. And you folks know you have a community nearby that desperately needs the gospel. And so, because of Maranatha being part of the Forest Lakes District, I just want to say thank you. Your partnership, your support enables ministries like these to be launched. And so, by God's grace, we're just so excited for the partnership that we have with you. Well, this morning, I'd like for us to take a look at Jesus' mission for the church. You know, we, we, we made it through a pandemic. We're, we're still getting through the pandemic, kind of. But as we emerge in this new time, I think it's important for us to remember Jesus' mission for the church. That we be on mission for what He has for us. You know, deep within all of us, there's the desire to, to make a difference. To, to do something that really matters. To have our lives count. Every one of us has that desire. You know, it reminds me of a story of uh, the USS United States. There should be a picture here of this uh, ship. Uh, it was built in 1950 and 1951 for a discount price of $79.4 million dollars. The U.S. Navy was part of the contract to build this vessel because it was going to be used for rapid deployment of troops. It could carry between 10 and 15,000 servicemen and women in rapid deployment to areas of the world where conflict might be happening. That was the original purpose of this building of the USS, the, U, uh, the SS, United States. 
It's the largest ocean liner ever built in the United States. It also is the fastest to ever cross the Atlantic in both directions. And it's 100 feet longer than the Titanic. And the U.S. Navy, as I said, contributed to its design and to the cost of it being built. And it was scheduled, as I said, to be used for rapid deployment of troops. But friends, when it was decommissioned in 1969, it had never once been used as a troop carrier. Today, the, US, the SS United States is docked at Pier 82 on the Delaware River in Philadelphia. And I think you could probably buy it on eBay for a couple bucks. It sits there as an albatross rusting, nobody knowing what to do with it. And yet, its original design was to be used to rapidly deploy service people around the country. You know, friends, the church, that reminds me of Jesus' mission for the church. We're to be on mission making disciples who make disciples. And we're not a tourist attraction. The last five verses of Matthew's Gospel give us Jesus' mission for the church. And that mission that was released over 2,000 years ago is still the mission that He has for us today. In, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, if you can picture, He's in the upper room with His disciples. They're celebrating the Passover. That was when uh, the Jewish people were able to leave Egypt under Pharaoh after they'd been in captivity as, as slaves for a number of years. And finally, the culminating of their release was the tenth plague where the Passover angel came, the death angel, and if there was no blood applied to the doorpost, the death of the oldest child in the home perished. Well, to this day, the Passover is celebrated. And Jesus is in the upper room. Can you picture Him in the upper room? Now, they weren't all in a line like the famous picture. They were seated around the table probably in a U-shaped fashion. And Jesus is there with His disciples and he says this to them in Matthew 26, verse 32. He says, After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And the first Sunday morning, after Jesus had died and He was raised, angels announced His resurrection. And in Matthew 28, verse 7, the ladies come to the tomb and they're greeted with an angelic messenger. And every time you see a human versus angel encounter, the very first words out of the angel are, fear not. <laughs> Angels are uh, powerful you know, messengers from God. And so when there's a human encounter, the first words are, fear not. And so there's fear not. And in verse 7 of Matthew 28, the angel says to these ladies, go quickly and tell the disciples that Jesus, He is risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you'll see Him. See just as He had told you. Well, the woman leaving the tomb run into Jesus. And He says to them, again, do not be afraid. Go and tell My brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see Me. He told them when they were up in the upper room, I'm going to meet you here. Go to this specific place in Galilee. And so in verses 16 and 7 of Matthew 28, we have the eighth post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. The disciples receive this message from the women. And they go out to Galilee to meet Jesus at this appointed place. And it says, now the 11 disciples. Why were there 11 and not 12? 
because Judas had taken his life. And so the other eleven went north to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, this predetermined place. And when they saw Him, it says they worshipped Him, but some did what? They worshipped Him, but some doubted. Why was there this tension in this scene? Why were there doubts? Well, let me rewind for you just the last like 50-some hours of what had transpired. They were in the upper room celebrating the Passover. Just several days earlier, they had experienced the triumphal entry of Jesus into the streets of Jerusalem where they heard, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in prophetic uh, fulfillment. And they thought that Jesus maybe was going to overtake the Roman uh, adversaries that were taking uh, control of the time of the region. And so they, they had this political revolution thought going on in their minds. And then Jesus, when they go out to pray, is betrayed, arrested, crucified, and all of their dreams and plans were dashed. So when they hear from the women, go to this spot in Galilee, to this mountain, to meet Jesus. They all come and worship, but some are filled with doubt. Thomas got his nickname, Doubting Thomas. He said, well, I'm not going to believe until I can stick a finger in, in his side and see that that, or in his hands and see that that was truly Jesus. So they're gathered here at this specific place and there's this tension. But this tension, it's good to know, the doubt doesn't remain because 10 of these 11 disciples died a martyr's death because of their following Jesus. Suddenly, for these 11, the pieces of the puzzle came together. And in Acts 17, verse 6, these men did not remain in doubt. As a matter of fact, it says, these men who have turned the world upside down have also come here. Or come here also. So it's good to know that the doubt that these followers had was soon replaced with conviction and purpose. The power of the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection still has the power to turn the world upside down, my friends. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the power of Jesus' death, His burial, and His resurrection has the power to change lives? Excuse me. That wasn't for dramatic opposed, but... Friends, the Gospel has the power it's the hope of the world. It has the power to change and transform lives. Well, then Jesus goes on to outline His message, His purpose for the church to these eleven. And there's three things we see in, in this passage. And the first thing we see is that Jesus said He has all authority. Verse 18, He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. This commission that He was going to give to these followers rests on a claim that Jesus made that He has all authority. He's all-powerful. That means omnipotent is a word we use for that. All-powerful. But what He claims here is all authority. Power is the ability to get things done. Authority is the jurisdiction or the legal right to use power. A good illustration of this 
lies in the world of basketball. <laughs> the athlete has the power to move the ball up and down the court, to jump, to shoot. The referee has the authority to restrict, to penalize, or disqualify the athlete. The athlete has the talent, has the fan support, and uh, as a basketball official, only thing I have is a whistle. <laughs> and, there I, I, and might I say, this was in the rush center, this picture, I was doing a state championship game. I had no fans in the audience. Matter of fact, I heard some displeasure when I used my whistle. <laughs> but there's a difference between power and authority. The coaches, the athletes, they have the ability within the restrictions of the rules and etc. to move and display their talents, but the authority rests with the official. And so the authority that the referee claims over athletes in basketball is the authority, my friends, that Jesus claims over the entire universe. All authority in heaven and earth, Jesus said, has been given to me. Friends, may I say to you this morning, Jesus is holding all things together and all authority rests with Him. We watch a world that seems to be spinning out of control and let me say to you, all authority has been given to Jesus and He's in control of all things. Without any protests, instant replays that we might see on TV today, commissioners' judgments to overrule, Jesus has authority. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we see how people were transformed by this authority. In Matthew 7.29, it says Jesus taught with authority. And as people listened, they said, this isn't like the other rabbis or other teachers. He teaches with authority. In Matthew 8, verses 1-13, through 13, He had the authority to cleanse lepers to, lepers, to heal all sickness and diseases. In Matthew 9, verse 6, he displayed a power and authority to forgive sins. In Matthew 10, verse 1, he showed his authority over Satan in the entire demonic world. Friends, Jesus' authority is universal, it's unrestricted, and it's inexhaustible. And he has all authority because he is the creator and sustainer of all things. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 tells us, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. After his death and resurrection, the Father gave all authority over heaven and earth to Jesus. That's why it says in Philippians 2, verses 8 to 11, that Jesus, being found in human form, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every person in this room will bow their knee to Jesus and declare that He is the Son of God to the glory of the Father. The question is, when will you bow your knee? For you see, 
Today, there's an opportunity to bow your knee and to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He is your Savior. And you can turn from your sin and repentance and He is your Savior. And He will bring you into His family and you become a follower of Jesus Christ. When we bow our knee and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we can do that today. And I would say to you, if you've come here today and your life is missing something, Jesus is the answer. He brings hope. He brings peace. He brings purpose. And when we confess our sins and believe that He is the Son of God who died on the cross for those sins and was buried and rose again, and we bow and we confess our sin and we turn in faith to Him, He becomes our Savior. And we've bowed our knee in this life. But guess what, friends? There will come a day when there will be other people who will bow a knee. Jesus will be sitting on a throne. There will be the bowing of the knee, the confessing of the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. But friends, at that moment, He won't be your Savior. He will be your judge. And those people who bow their knee at that moment will hear these words from Jesus. Depart from Me into eternal punishment I never knew you. Your name's not written here. And so people will bow their knee to Jesus either as Savior or as Judge. And I appeal to you, friends, bow your knee now to Him as Savior. Because there will be a day where you'll bow your knee to Him as Judge. So when Paul wrote, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Father, it will happen. It will happen. Because Jesus has been given all authority. Now we struggle with authority figures because in our fallen world, those who have authority sometimes abuse those under their authority. Not so with Jesus. He uses His authority for our good. That's why John 10, verse 10 says, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy, but He says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly or to the full. Since Jesus has all authority, we can obey Him without fear and we can trust Him wherever He leads us. And we can have courage no matter what the circumstances that we face because Jesus has been given all authority and He's in control. Another thing that I see here in the text is not only that Jesus has been given all authority and this mission that he's giving to his followers and to us today rests on this claim that he has all authority. The second thing that I say in this text is that Jesus said, make disciples of all people. Make disciples of all people. Verses 19 and 20 say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, at first glance, we think that the commission is to go. But a more accurate rendering is as you go, or while you go, make disciples. Wherever you go, make disciples. You know, friends, God has placed you in the schools, in the work environment, 
in the neighborhoods where you live, drive, consume goods and services, <laughs> goods and services, for a purpose. God has placed you to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ wherever you go. That means when you're stopped at a stoplight here in Rice Lake and a split second happens, that's the moment between your light turning green in front of you, the stoplight, and the person behind you's car honking the horn. What do you do in response? Lord bless you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that all the time either. But friends, our actions and our reactions in this world that God has placed us as ambassadors, God's placed you where you are for a purpose. Look at the neighborhood that you live in in those mailboxes and pray for those people to know that God has placed you there to be a light into their world and to give them hope. Jesus said, make disciples of all people. While you are going, make disciples of all nations. Then he says there's three parts to what disciple making looks like. First of all, after they come to faith in Jesus Christ, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We teach them to observe all things that he's commanded. So first of all, we must go into the world. Romans 10, 14, and 15 tells us how, how then will our neighbors... Our loved ones, the people we work with, the people that we go to school with, how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him, in Jesus, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, someone living out the Gospel in their lives? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, and I love this, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You can say to the person next to you, as you take the Gospel with you this week, your feet are beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says, In your heart sanctify, honor, set apart God, uh, set apart Christ as Lord and as holy, then always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you, and yet do it with gentleness and respect. Friends, the mission of the church is for us to be going disciples for a coming Christ. We're to be going disciples for a coming and returning Christ. So after we go, we, we must baptize those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, not for salvation, but for identification with Christ's work. When we're baptized, it's a declaration, I belong to Jesus and I'm following through being baptized. It's showing his death, burial, and resurrection. Third, we must then teach disciples to deserve all things that Jesus commands. You know, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is this threefold process. As we go, we tell those lost in sin and repentance that they are separated from, from Christ and they need to repent from their sin. Then we bring those new disciples, Christ followers, through baptism, we have them declare their identification, and then we teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God or child of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
The word teach here means to instruct. Jesus' words are power, they're life, and they're truth. They bring light into darkness. Disciples move beyond hearing God's word and Jesus' commands to obeying God's words and Jesus' commands. Sadly, I would say that the average Christ follower is well-educated beyond their level of obedience. I would say that that's true of me many times. I'm well-educated of what I should be doing beyond my level of obedience. That's why James tells us, don't just be a hearer of God's Word. Don't just hear it, but do it. Go and do what it says. Otherwise, we fall into some of the worst deception. That's self-deception if all we do is hear but don't live out what we know to be true and what we've been commanded. Well, Jesus said, I have been given all authority. Go and make disciples. The last thing that I see here in this text that he tells us as we're on mission, he said he would be with us always. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, there's no greater comfort then Jesus is with us. He's with us. You know, Jesus had been with his disciples almost daily for three years, three and a half years. When they were waking up in the morning, they didn't have to worry about consulting their iPhones to see what directions they needed to go because Jesus said, follow me, here we go. They didn't have to worry about what they were going to be doing on an agenda because they were following Jesus. When they went to bed at night, there were no worries about the next day because all they needed to do was follow Jesus. But now he was about to leave. And not only that, he just commissioned them to the greatest work of all of human history. And that was to be his disciples and ambassadors. Remember who Jesus' disciples were. They're not necessarily what I would call first-round draft choices. They were regular people. Fishermen. An IRS agent, for heaven's sake. A tax collector. Some of them were predisposed to anger issues. I mean, I, I don't think Peter was aiming for that guy's ear when he swung. I think he had sleep in his eyes. One frequently said the wrong thing at the wrong time. And and from this group, friends, who would have been sufficient for the greatest commission of all time? Not one of them. And yet you look throughout the Gospels, and ten of these eleven, as you read the New Testament, gave their lives for the good news of Jesus Christ. Normal people like you and like me, yet entrusted with the greatest mission of all time, making disciples Christ followers. So I love 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29. It says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Friends, God uses ordinary people a life that is surrendered to Jesus, ordinary as it may be, Jesus working through you can accomplish extraordinary things.
things for His glory. The final words of Jesus to His disciples were, I am with you always to the end of the age. What, what, what great words of assurance and comfort. If Jesus is with us, we can do anything that He asks or commands. If He's with us, it doesn't matter who or what opposes us. He's been given all authority. Jesus promises to guide us, to strengthen us, and to never leave us. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, one of the great preachers of a previous generation, was early in his ministry and he visited a couple of widows, some dear ladies. And he read this text, Matthew 28.20, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he said to them, isn't this a great promise? (laughs) And one of the dear ladies looked at him and said, young man, that is not just a promise. It's a fact. I'm living it. And isn't that true? Jesus said, I am with you to the very end. You know, um, earlier this year, I had the privilege of taking a sabbatical and my wife and I were in another part of the country and was winding up my sabbatical and she was going to fly home to Wisconsin and my mom had fallen. She lives in Des Moines, Iowa. My father was a pastor for 50 years, went home to be with the Lord in 2015. And my mom had fallen three times in independent care and all three of those falls had resulted in trips by an ambulance to the hospital. The third one happened while we were on sabbatical. And she broke her pelvis and broke her elbow and required surgery. My wife looked at me and she said, I don't think we should finish the sabbatical with the rest of these plans. I think we should drive to Iowa and be with Mom. You know, and in my heart and in my mind, I would lay awake at night and she was placed in hospice and I said, I don't want my mom to die all alone. I don't want her to be in that room all by herself. And that's when this passage really took on new meaning to me. Jesus said, I'm with you all the way to the end. I'm with you till the end of the age. And there's a picture of mom (laughs) that was in April when we drove right up to be with her. And I kissed her on the forehead and I said, Mom, Jesus is with you all the way to the end. She's come out of hospice. She's still... In a, in, a, in a bed and not, not going to walk, but I talked to her on Thursday and I prayed with her and I said, Mom, Jesus is with you all the way to the end. And she said, yes, He is. And friends, that promise is true. No matter what context your life is going through, the people you love, what's happening in their lives, Jesus said that He's with you to the very end. One of the things I love about this proclamation is that Matthew's Gospel begins with a proclamation like this, and it ends with a proclamation. In Matthew 1, verse 23, an angel appeared to Joseph and says to Joseph, Behold, the Virgin Mary will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew begins by saying, Jesus is coming. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus comes on the scene at the very end. He says to His followers, you know what? I'm Emmanuel. I'm going to be with you 
to the very end. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, we've been given a great assignment, a task. Everybody reporting for duty? (laughs) We've been given a task to go and make disciples, to live out our faith, recognizing that he's been given all authority but that he will be with us every step of the journey, always to the very end. Father, this morning I thank you for your word. I thank you for this promise from Jesus. I thank you for the marching orders to go and make disciples. God, I pray that by your grace and with your divine enablement, we might live lives that bring honor and glory to Jesus. That, God, we might be good ambassadors. That we might make disciples of all people. Those that you've placed in our neighborhood, in our sphere of influence, in our schools, in our workplaces. People we run into at gas stations and restaurants all over around the area where we live. May they see Jesus in us. And God, may you comfort. No doubt in a room this size, there are people, Lord, that need to hear that you are with them always to the very end. God, may we honor and glorify you not with just our actions, but with our our very lives. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise. In Jesus' precious name, amen.